Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Such Things of Fish, where we are joined by the wonderful Ella Al-Shamahi. Uh, you might remember Ella from episode 373 of No Such Things of Fish, uh, when she last appeared. Uh, but if you don't remember that, then she is a paleoanthropologist, she's an expert in Neanderthals, she is a National Geographic explorer, she's just an all-round badass. Ella has written a book called The Handshake, A Gripping History, which we talked about last time she was on. Uh, but she's also been on loads of TV shows, loads of documentaries. Uh, the last one, I think, was called Our Changing Planet, all about the world's most threatened ecosystems. And you can actually still watch that if you go to BBC iPlayer uh, or PBS Video app. Anyway, really hope you enjoy this week's show. Don't forget Club Fish exists, the place where you can get loads of extra content and ad-free episodes. Don't forget, there are still one or two tickets, I think, possibly left for our live shows coming up in the Soho Theatre in London. And you can get those by going to nosuchthingsafish.com forward slash Soho. Anyway, that's enough of that. Really hope you enjoy this week's show with Ella. And it's on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, James Harkin and Ella Al-Shamahi. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Ella. American beer was so bad in the early 1900s that the US government sent Alexander Graham Bell's son-in-law on a secret mission to Bavaria to steal German hops. Wow. <laughs> Gosh, a, so much to unpick. Yeah. So, okay, so Alexander Graham Bell's son-in-law, yeah. was that an important yeah. part of it? Was that yeah. what the American okay. government so were the looking really, for? The, was that the brief? The really sad thing is, David Fairchild <laughs> is like a hugely celebrated botanist and is described as the food explorer. And yet for our purposes, he's just Alexander Graham Bell's son-in-law. Because <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. to be fair, if he was your father-in-law, that's pretty, the yeah. end of your identity, right? But was yeah, it maybe this was at the point when there was only two telephones in the country? <laughs> and so the government would just call him up and say, you got anyone we could yeah. use? Yeah. So just, you think when he invented two telephones alexander graham bell he gave one to the government and kept yeah. one himself yeah <laughs> no one else needs one it's fine and it became like the bat phone it was yeah. any time they were needed for anything bell phone mm. yeah the bell I'm phone. loving the facts today guys <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what what's this guy fairchild so all right so david fairchild so he's a food explorer um and i think he's absolutely fascinating because explorers usually go around the planet let's be honest discovering stuff but also pillaging a lot and what have you and like stealing artifacts and whatever takes your fancy um but this guy did it with plants with botany um, which is in my mind is just like the loveliest thing to go around the planet stealing (laughs) 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 because all he's doing is he's basically turned around at the beginning of the 1900s going and the end of the 1800s going America is a country clearly on the rise Mm. but our agriculture is bad our food is bad like our industries as mm. related to as you know as they relate to plants are just bad so i'm going to go off to 50 odd countries and just collect samples send seeds back send saplings back that kind of thing and because it's plants i just can't get mad at him because yeah. i'm just like you were yeah. just helping to feed your people and build industry could we get him cancelled because he was like stealing from the farmers well, are, you tr- are you trying to get him cancelled i'm doing my best <laughs> I do this on this podcast. Yeah. Whoever we have on, I don't ever mention anyone you like on this show. James will find a way gonna, to destroy. Do not, do not do this to me because okay. I actually I've <laughs> decided that he is he's like the one explorer that I really have nothing bad to say about. I'm okay. like, oh, fair enough. You're trying to feed your people. Yeah. Oh, they, he did give the Americans broccoli and kale. So oh yeah, yeah. I love those two things. It's interesting how limited American food was. Yeah. I didn't really appreciate that before the 1890s when he really Ooh. got cracking they'd had a, they had occasional introductions like in the world's fair in 1876 which was effectively america's 100th birthday they got the banana that was right. good that yeah. was a big advance also, can we just know? take a second to talk about world fairs oh, like, yeah, aren't they can. just the best thing ever oh, yeah. yeah just just this world where you were like oh let's just do a world fair 
and it actually was legit like everyone was like oh crap that's actually that's new that's what is that it's yellow and it's bendy that's amazing when yeah. did we last have one it's, well it's i went to one time. in um dubai this year <laughs> oh, oh okay. yes okay so um, so this year oh yeah they did yeah, they did one. well they did one during covid uh and obviously no one could go <laughs> and then uh when i went everything was closed so you couldn't even get an Uber. Everyone had gone home. Oh, it's like, right. that's what, because that's what it is. They build them, these sort of huge things, don't they? And all the different countries have their different stalls where yeah. they're saying, in Uzbekistan, mm. we make amazing bananas or whatever. And then two years later, they all go home and that's it. They only do it with countries that are on the rise, right? Right. Yeah, like, I, like I we know. wouldn't do a world. America wouldn't do a world fair anymore. We are the world. Like, yes. Why would we do a world fair? There was a, there was a big one in America. Carl Sagan went to as a kid, so Sagan would be in his eighties if he was still alive, or ninety. So you know, oh, okay. Within uh, that. the one in Dubai, just to say this, yeah, yeah. is quite interesting because each country made their own sort of building. And they were all kind of shaped with Uzbekistani design or Azerbaijani design or whatever. Mm. And now they're changing it and they're turning it into flats, the whole place. Oh, wow. And they're going to make it so you can live in this area. But it means that all these buildings are just these incredible designs that have made from the best architects in the world. Sounds like you're selling Dubai instead of cancelling Dubai, which I thought thought, (laughs) thought you were the cancelling of Dubai. Visit Dubai. There's no, you can't get an Uber there. You can't, there's no shops there or anything. So I don't want to live there. Oh, oh, that's the bad side of Dubai. Guys, that, 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 of all the bad crap that Famously, you there are no shops in Dubai. <laughs> um, someone emailed in, and I'm going to butcher their fact now, and also not credit them, but because I didn't think we we're going to end up talking about world fairs. It was a few years ago. The Brazilian delegation turned their entire thing into a trampoline. What? It was something like a four thousand square foot trampoline. The wow. Brazilian like, bit of Is, the world. Was it to sell rubber? I don't think it was. What? I don't even think it was. I think it was just saying, look. Everyone else has got good stuff here. We've got a big old trampoline. So just come along, have a bounce, enjoy yourself. (laughs) (laughs) They had a big project that at the last minute got taken away. They went, what have we got? (laughs) Why are we talking about the World Fair? I'm sorry, I got distracted. Yeah, this is what happens when Ella is around. (laughs) Because during the World Fair, the banana was introduced to America. (laughs) And it's not food introduction. By Fairchild or someone else? By someone else. That was like a sporadic thing. But then when he really got going, he was privately funded as well. Yes. By Barbour Lathrop. Yes, yes, yes. A wonderfully gay, fabulous figure, basically, who's just this incredible philanthropist. Squillionaire, just looking for something to fund. And And they bumped into each other on a boat, didn't they? And he just went, I'll fund this trip of you trying to steal avocados yeah why not <laughs> this sounds great can i just say as a as a as an explorer with national geographic that is our dream that we like <laughs> no 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 if you think i'm kidding you do not know like my friend group in the sense that we are like we literally just sit there constantly going right how do we get this kind of thing from philanthropy and every so often it works out so like i've got friends that like mm-hmm. they're, they're like this smart friend of the philanthropist who is like some billionaire or millionaire. Yeah. They're like their sugar mama dada, yeah. whatever. Have I, have I yeah. ever told you the, the story of Nat Geo? Somebody walks up to me, this really old guy, bless him. First time I've ever been at National Geographic. And he looks at me and goes, uh, I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm not an oil man, but I've got money and I want to give you some. I saw that money in my account. An expedition was part funded by it. Wow. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. so as simple as that. Okay, so it does happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's amazing. <sighs> so Fairchild, I agree. I think reading about him, he seems like an extraordinary guy. I'm surprised I'd never heard of him, for example. But if you're in America and you're eating, say, like peaches or nectarines or avocados or mangoes, most likely the one that you're eating right now, someone's bound to be eating one right now as they listen, shares <laughs> genes from the ones that Fairchild yeah. introduced to the country mm, that is quite all cool. those years ago. What a, yeah, yeah. what a sort of footprint he's left in, yeah. in the country. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Send us, your, send us your photos if you're reading, photos, a, yes, you're reading a mango now <laughs> right in, now. in America. <laughs> or an avocado. Or an avocado. Some quinoa. Yeah. yeah. Did he bring in quinoa? Yep. Podcast at QI.com. Mangosteens. The mangosteen. Yeah. Oh, great. Let's talk about this. This is great. <laughs> Go on. What, what, what about is, the mangosteen? It's a, it's a fruit that he introduced mm. and that never took off. Because he introduced thousands, uh, yeah. and they didn't all take off. Because yeah, you, you can have to still buy mangosteens, though, can't you? I think so. Yeah, they just I've never exploded. Wait, I had never heard of the mangosteen before. I had oh, neither. really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy who wrote the book on David Fairchild um, is Dan Stone, who's a friend of mine. Mm. And uh, apparently, while he was writing this book, everybody would just send him really exotic <laughs> fruit, like wow. the whole time he was writing the book, because they were like, "This is good for you, no?" Yeah. He's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the book's uh, called The Food Explorer, by the way. I think it's fair amazing, to say yeah. that every bit of research I have oh, is yeah, from yeah, yeah. Dan Stone. So. <laughs> 
yeah, well done, so mate. Go, what tell a us about mangosteen, Sandy. Well, as far as I can tell, I, again, I've, Dan and I have never heard of them before, and you two are like having them for breakfast every day. So correct me if I'm wrong. But they're the size of a fist, roughly, and they're like a lychee. But, but the problem is they're not great for farming. And what, what he was doing, Fairchild, you have to persuade the farmers to grow the things and the public to buy them. Mm. So it's two jobs to yeah, carry out, yeah, basically. Yeah. And he couldn't persuade either, apparently, either side of the equation. Because yeah. they're really hard. They, they bruise worse than peaches. And they, yeah, they're just yeah. a nightmare to, to transport. And, and they go off really quickly. But he said they were the queen of fruits. They were so. his oh, favourites. Really? I know. And he kept trying to make them happen. Like fetch <laughs> oh. in Mean Girls. Mm. <laughs> kept trying yeah. to make it happen. And it, no one was picking up on it. And so all these things he brought into the country, but the one of which you headlined your fact with mm. is very interesting because it was the beer hops. Yeah. And mm. you'd think you'd just go into a country, grab some fruit and leave the country. But no, people were so protective. They would have, you know, boys sleeping with the hops at yeah. night to make yeah, sure no one would see security. it. That's the thing. So he'd come in and integrate himself with the communities. He would sort of become friends. So this, uh, this particular hop, so this is, I think, the Sems hop, he, he basically started talking about Sems, the guy that came up with it, who was dead at this point. And he offered the son of Sems, basically he said, look, I'm really scared that in a few generations, people aren't gonna know about your dad, blah, blah, blah. So he was like, why don't you build a plaque I will pay for it. So he like That's basically clever. put money down. So impressive US diplomacy here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made such a song and dance about it. Everybody was really happy. The whole, like everybody in the town was happy about it. And then apparently somebody at night knocks on his door when it's raining and goes, do you want some? Do you want some cuttings? Wow. And apparently he has to like really restrain himself to not be like, yes, this is exactly why I did all this and I've been manipulating you guys for like weeks. Um, and he was like, yeah, okay. And he oh, go goes, on, okay, man. I can't do this publicly. Uh, I have to do it quietly, but I'll send a hundred cuttings to the next the next station down the line. Oh, not even handing them over no, now. No, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no. It That's was proper clever. espionage. That's amazing. It's hilarious. But also to think like of all the of all the uh, espionage that the US government has ever done. I just I just can't object to this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, why, that's why American beer now is so delicious, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. how bad must it have been before? So, so here's the crazy thing. Apparently during Prohibition, all his hops were uprooted. Mm, yeah. Um, so all the Sam's hops that Fairchild... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, were all uprooted yeah. during the... I read that. Basically, oh. when Prohibition came in, all the breweries closed down. And then when they reopened, there was a few more big ones and they decided to sell what they knew would sell because they weren't sure anyone would buy any beer anymore. And so they went with the really safe stuff, which was the light beers and the mass-produced stuff. Okay, mm. now can you explain Hershey's? Hershey's? <laughs> it tastes like sick. Yeah, it tastes like sick. To British people. Or, you know, it contains some chemicals which happen to also <laughs> taste like sick. I don't yeah, remember the exact I yeah, love yeah. how people have gone around tasting sick. They haven't. They haven't. They really haven't. That's not how well, you, If you're eating you know, a Hershey's bar right now, please send a photo. <laughs> or if you're being sick. Yeah. If you're, you know, by the way. Oh, yeah. yes, that one. Yeah. Podcast at QR.com. Um, uh, you mentioned- so they, do they have your address? Because I feel like if they have your address, they could send the mangosteens and the sick etc etc to the address we've just moved offices and the reason being that the old office was just full of sick and mangosteens inundated yeah Yeah. but everyone's tasted sick if they've ever been sick true you You just taste it in reverse don't you sorry to having to you know to lower the tone that's nasty but that's how we know what American chocolate tastes like yeah Great. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys uh, hear about the cherry blossom trees in DC and how no, he's responsible no. for all of them, basically? So, I mean, we have them now in London uh, mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. They're very kind of ornamental mm. and very beautiful. But he introduced them from Japan and then it became all the rage and people were like queuing up to see him and Alexander Graham Bell's daughter's residence. It was at their house, wasn't it? He yeah. put it to his, yeah. Oh. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And then basically Washington DC was not the beautiful metropolis it now is. Um, back then it was kind of ugly and uh, he started saying well maybe we should just plant some cherry blossom trees yeah. around here and that would be kind of beautiful and then the uh the first lady heard of this and before you know it the japanese who at this point they're not particularly like chummy with um they're like okay this could be a symbol of friendship if you give us 300 cherry blossom trees mm. we can plant them in dc and the japanese got carried away ended up shipping 2000 <gasps> but they opened the crates i think it was in seattle and went oh crap they were diseased they were absolutely infested with invasive mm. species so then they had to publicly burn the symbol of friendship between japan oh. and the us yeah and it was like on the front page of the new york and, times and the thing i read was it was from orders of the president which feels <laughs> like he should have been busier than having to make <laughs> executive decisions about, yeah, 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 yeah. about agricultural imports although it was his decision wasn't it because it was him and the first lady who 
who kind of made the decision to bring yeah. it over, wasn't it? Mm. Wow. But the Japanese were like, our bad. And so it was all fine. They <laughs> right. sent they sent more over and then they are now. And as a result, yeah. US-Japanese relations stayed very harmonious, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Good. Um, it was interesting because the ones that they sent over the second time, they had to make sure that they were really not infested. Mm. Uh, so they raised the trees in virgin soil. So mm. they the soil was brand new oh. and they'd never been anywhere else. Uh, they wrapped the roots in damp moss. Um, to stop That's a any... lot of work for a friendship, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's great. And they fumigated it twice, um, once to asphyxiate the insects, and then once just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and the reason that they did this is because this guy, uh, Fairchild, had a nemesis called Charles Marlatt, didn't he? Yeah. This is an amazing story. So Charles Marlatt was in charge of the FDA sort of anti-insect part of the FDA, mm. uh, but they were boyhood friends. And actually Marlatt was Fairchild's best man at his wedding. <gasps> um, but then they fell out because Fairchild basically got a load of easy jobs through his friends and family, a bit of nepotism and stuff. And Marlatt had to work hard for his for his job. And so they really fell out. And Marlatt basically, whenever Fairchild brought in any new species, he mm. would be like, there's insects on that, get rid of it, burn mm. it, do yeah. it now. And so they wow. really, really fell out. I, I have to defend the entomologist here, even though I love mm. Dan Fairchild. So it's worth saying that, like, Fairchild, um, he was, he, he did get a lot of fame, but a lot of that was off his own back. But then, yeah, sure, he married into, like, this really prominent family and became really big with National Geographic. Mm. But today we would actually side with the entomologist yeah like he, yeah. scientifically he's the sound one yeah, not yeah. the botanist just being mm. like well let's just hope it's going to be fine when we bring all these parts yeah. from all over the world yeah definitely it but was it was dangerous yeah i read yeah. this amazing story that he wanted to send a thousand mangoes back to um back to america mm. uh, but he put them on a boat and they were too heavy uh, <laughs> and so he solved it by getting a load of local children to eat them all was because all he needed were the stones brilliant. he didn't need the mangoes themselves oh, so brilliant. he just got all the kids and said free mangoes as many as you can eat they all went oh, no, 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 no. US diplomacy there we go that's another yeah. that's Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something really clever like he only needed to ship the children there. Yeah. and then, <laughs> and then was, they'd poo them out exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. and I was thinking god those children are brave like pooing out a mango stone that's not funny yeah. and no children famously a bit more heavy than a mango as well so <laughs> weight was your issue I know I'm sorry Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that at one stage of the 17th century, every woman living on the Yemeni island of Socotra was called Maria. Was it? Okay. <laughs> okay. How many women were on the island? Well, I don't know, but it wasn't completely insignificant. It's a big island, right? It's yeah. about the yeah. size of what? Mallorca. Long You've Island. It's big. Haven't you? Long Island. Is, yeah. It, yeah. is it that they were hosting a Sound of Music reality show? Because <laughs> the 17th century. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a real Yemeni vibe. It's like the tribesmen and the Sound of Music. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know exactly how many people live there. How many people would you say live there now? It's in the 10th. I, I think it's about 40,000. 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been 50, less yeah. then. But basically, it was a Christian island. Mm. Um, by tradition, it was St. Thomas who was shipwrecked there in the year 52 AD. Okay. And he supposedly brought in Christianity. But definitely, mm. the Greeks brought it in the 4th century. That definitely happened. And Marco Polo wrote about it in the 13th century that mm. there were Christians there. And in the 17th century, there was a guy called Padre Vincenzo. Uh, and he visited Socotra. And he found that they were still Christian ostensibly but they kind of moved to other beliefs because Socotra is a place that's very difficult to get to, especially at certain times of year. You can't mm. really get there at all. The monsoon the winds, is, yeah. yeah. Good luck. And so because they were isolated from the rest of the world, they kind of had this new version of Christianity. So a lot of them were called Maria. There were still a lot of churches, but for instance, they used to do sacrifices to the moon and a few different things. Why so not keep of, some of your old beliefs in? Just yeah. spice it all up a bit. What year was that again? Uh, it was in the mid 17th century. Why were they called Maria? Because Mary, the mother of Jesus. Oh. Yeah. That must have been confusing. Oh, yeah. No, because they don't. Have you oh. been there? Have you been yeah, there? Yeah, so I've been to Socotra. It is, I can verify that it's very difficult to get there. <laughs> have you met a Maria? Uh, I have not met a Maria because weirdly there's no Christians left on the island. No. Mm. Whoa. Why is that? 
Someone said, Maria, come over <laughs> <on> here. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. So they're all uh, Muslims now. So I uh, went there kind of 2018, I think, or 2019. And we had three options to get there. Either we uh, fly in via mainland Yemen, but the airport we were flying into was an Al-Qaeda stronghold. So decided maybe that's not the best way of getting in. Uh, and then the other route was via uh, kind of almost like a private jet via the Emirates, the place that you like. Um, <laughs> but uh, they were only giving us verbal permission, not written permission. Right. Um, and then the third option was to get on a cement cargo ship uh, from Oman and sail through pirate waters. And the ship was like infested with cockroaches, like completely infested. And it, it had like a, a, the toilet was like a basket on the side of the ship, like attached with rope. Is this the route you went? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it was hilarious. Um, no pirates. We, you... Yeah, we luckily didn't That's didn't lucky. have we Just you know the cockroaches. Yeah, the the Swede in the group had his wits about him. Let me tell you that every time every time a ship went past, he was like yeah. <laughs> just oh very nervous. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really hard to get to, and that's yeah. the thing, right? But then that's good news for other things. So it means that they have amazing biodiversity there. And yeah, you've oh, seen it's... the trees that are there. They look incredible. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. dragon blood tree. I know that's the most famous really yeah. that's the sort of like the headline tree yeah. out there but they do look it beautiful is amazing they yeah. look they're described if you want to picture it they're described as sort of looking like umbrellas but a lot of them look like umbrellas with a high wind where you know when your yeah. umbrella yeah. flips inside out because yeah. you see the stems coming up and yeah. they're known for the fact that if the sap comes out it's red sap hence the kind of dragon blood thing and they've been exporting that for years and it's been used for all sorts of um like nail polish and and medicines and so on Smear in gladiators really, really? gladiators supposedly uh, had a bit of it smeared on them as decoration and a bit as disinfectant um but the, the thing is that the tree wow i think it only exists there now but pollen has been found all around the mediterranean as in oh, fossilized really? or archaeologists have found pollen of it around the med mm. so this is what the med used to look like there used to be these trees much more commonly so the dragon's blood tree there's different species of dragon's blood um, and there are still what we call in biology relic populations. So kind of populations that are on their last leg in Socotra. But there's different species of dragon's blood in the Canary Islands. Uh, there's another oh. species in Oman and kind of a remote part of Oman. And it looks like the dragon's blood tree was like a really dominant tree right. in, the ho in the whole of the kind of that old world. Mm. Um, it's kind of old school. It's, it should kind of really be on its out, and it is. Yeah. Well, it is, right? They're saying possibly in the next 80 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. if we're not careful, it's going to be an extinct yeah. species of tree. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so interesting how it survives, because most trees obviously get their water through the roots under the ground, mm -hmm. but this, this tree has worked out a way i don't know if that's a language you use about trees but it's yeah. got the ability to take in the moisture of the clouds that are going above it so it can pull from above as so well cool. as below yeah, yeah which is pretty amazing it, it injects much more water into the soil from the air than mm. it gets in rainfall because it's sometimes it's foggy and cloudy and yeah. it sort of yeah. sucks all that it's called horizontal precipitation capture which is as it sounds but they've got nine i think 92 different plant species which live in the undergrowth a few surveys have found that and seven of them oh. are only found wow. living in the undergrowth of the dragon's blood tree so that's mad and so i cool. suppose that would make it an umbrella species and it looks like an umbrella <laughs> no. 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 i'll tell you what national geographic they're going wild oh, for that kills. yeah yeah I mean, it, when you turn up there, I'm not going to lie, you're like, what is this place? It looks, there's so few places on earth where you look at them and you go, oh, that looks really alien. Like that's, mm. that's a really unusual landscape. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Socotra is definitely that, like these canyons, like, like Grand Canyon, almost obviously not that scale, but um, with, with these dragon blood trees and other trees as well, mm. you know, and giant snails and a bunch of stuff that you're just like, what yeah. is this? Well, Ella, I, can I ask you, as the only one who's been there? Yeah. Did it seem to you at all like the atmosphere of the planet Pandora in the Jesus. global mega hit Avatar film? <laughs> okay, okay. Actually, I this read is somewhere a, This is a good it. crowd to ask this to because I've heard that as well. That, okay, that was and an I read, inspiration. I read it somewhere, right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wondered if, if we knew what the source of that was because I could. Here's the thing yeah. the thing with Socotra is if you speak to people that are really in the know, so people, um, the kind of off the beat. Uh, travelers, people that are very interested in kind of biology, that kind of thing. Mm. They all know Socotra. It's like this this hidden right. secret that actually everybody in a certain industry knows about. Like right. it's, you know, and it's on people's dreams. I've met very rich people that are desperate for me to take them to Socotra and I'm like, sure, once I've dealt with the pirate situation, I will get you <laughs> and you're very it's rich. Queue of wizard <laughs> Texans just waiting to be. Um, but yeah, I wondered about that because I was I can see that. But I just wonder what the source is, because I just, yeah. being that we care about facts here, guys, right? Mm. Right? 
Yeah. Right. Shut I need up. more. <laughs> well, there's one thing we care about more than facts, and that's the continued success of the Way of Water franchise. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, just on the Christianity in Yemen in the 17th century, this was uh, what Padre Vincenzo was talking about. Um, a few weird things that they did. They had a priest called Adambo who was elected by the people and changed every single year. Just like almost what? like an archbishop of the of the um, island, but democratic. Mm. That's quite cool, isn't yeah, it? Let cool. me tell you about modern day Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, in the churches, they had like a uh, what would you call it, like an altar, and every day they would smear it with butter. Oh, lovely! Yeah, that does sound great. Kind of... What for? What reason? What for, yeah, do they slide along it? <laughs> or... Yeah. <laughs> Because that would be a great way of starting a service, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, whoosh, I'm here. Or is it sort of like you're going up for your body of Christ? Would you like, would you like some butter? <laughs> I love how this is just the fantasies of these two. <laughs> That's what would take those two heathens back to church. <laughs> I've got a general Yemen fact. Oh, yeah. Go. yeah. During, so yep, Yemen, I think, used to be a British colony protectorate, protectorate. that's the south safe of to say about anywhere in the world yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the british were, were involved in something well you know yeah they so during during that era the the port of aden which was and i think even after the rest of yemen might have gained independence aden maintained a kind of special yeah. status basically aden was in a, a pretty constant state of emergency things were so dicey there the british citizens living there were issued pretty much as standard with revolvers in case of assassination attempts on them imagine that imagine just uh, moving to somewhere and being fitted with a revolver yeah yemen's an interesting place like uh during uh so there was a revolution and obviously now there's a war mm. um and there was like a protest uh, and outside the protest it says um no bazookas <laughs> so you're allowed wow. to wow <laughs> Uh, other way, but just no bazooka. We're drawing the line of bazooka. Oh, and landmines. Um, there were like no That's bazookas amazing. and no um, no hand grenades. Oh my mines. god! That's so yeah, funny because yeah. like we just had protests here, and if you brought like a, a whistle, a whistle or a luggage tag, <laughs> they kind of ship yeah, you away yeah. to prison. No, yeah. no, no, no. But in defence wow. of my parents' homeland, I will say uh, it is a. It, like, have you seen pictures of mainland Yemen and the island of Scotland? It's the most stunning place and i know like i'm biased but it is absolutely epically well, I beautiful i saw a photo of a place i wonder if you've seen it in person you've been there quite a few times mm. right um it's described as the manhattan of the desert yes i mean it sounds incredible that was freya stark explorer who called it that in the 1930s but this is a 16th century walled city mm. that was the first ever city of skyscrapers they went seven floors high and mm. the buildings were made of mud it was just a yeah and higher actually of, yeah, 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 yeah and and there's still obviously there's been renovations and so on but is there anything original oh it's older yeah yeah so it's a unesco world heritage site again it's, so it's it's so socotra is also a unesco world heritage site and it's basically um buildings 10 11 whatever stories high um the really cute thing is that um some of those houses have bridges yeah on the top of the houses nice. because people can't be bothered to go all the way downstairs because they have elevators they're like right historic Clever. buildings right so they instead of going all the way downstairs to go visit the neighbors they just go to the to the to the top <sighs> which they cool. call the jubba and they just leg it along these little bridges and it's still just, but the thing is it's so old and it's still inhabited that's the amazing oh no, no it's, like, it's amazing it's, it's completely so inhabited amazing. it's yeah. a lived in world heritage site it's great i mean when you turn up there you're like are you kidding wow. <laughs> so bazookas and pistols yes <laughs> but also heritage it was yeah. the um, <laughs> go visit guys <laughs> It, it was the only place you could get coffee from for 200 years until wow. one of these people who stole plants oh, went in. Uh, your heroes, Suddenly, Ella. I don't yeah. like them. <laughs> went in, nicked all the coffee. Uh, and if Mocha, which is the place where the coffee was exported from, if they still had the monopoly on coffee, there would be enough money for everyone in Yemen to get a payment of $16,000 per year on top of anything else they Are earned. Are you kidding me? And that would be eight times higher than the actual average salary of Whoa. a person from Yemen. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, man. That's depressing. Um, just one more thing on Marys. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the 18th century, 24% of women in England were called Mary. Hmm. Um, the Socotra of the North. The they called it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and in Vexan, which is in France, just northwest of Paris, uh, in 1740, 68.4% of women were called Mary. What? Or Marie, it would be. Yeah. Do any of you have Marias in your families? My, I have a cousin. Yeah, my uh, Rosemary is my auntie. Yeah. So there's. Yeah, I wonder if it's that, if it's the double barrel first. Well, name. in France, that's what happened. Yeah. So around that time, around the 18th century, they started doing the double names, so you could have Marie Claire or Marie whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah, so they started 
almost everyone was called Mary something. Oh. In um, 1379, 33% of the male population of Sheffield were called John. Oh. Uh, and 22% of the women were called Alice. Hmm. Mm. John and Alice have invited us round. <laughs> Be more specific! <laughs> <laughs> That's us! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that during the Second World War, the making of Spitfires was so secret that one married couple didn't know they were both working on it. Was that John and Alice? <laughs> it was John and Alice. That's cool. So it's did, so I wonder if they both thought that the other was having an affair. I know, imagine them going to work in the morning, like, <laughs> off to work. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Okay. See you later. Sure. I'm going in this direction. Oh, um. <laughs> I'll just pop back to the house for a minute. But was there someone at work whose job it was to keep them apart as well? A nightmare life of they're coming to the canteen at the same time. Oh, uh, hey, why don't you come and, uh... It's did, such a weird fact. How did yeah. they find out? So they many found questions. out decades later. That's the crazy thing. So this is a slight, was this that is the a, only secret thing they were working? I have so many questions. Was that the only secret thing they were working? On? I think they were both working in this specific factory. So the, the, the same factory, even. Yeah, it was the same factory. Yeah, yeah. But the th- so this. I mean, is, they might be idiots, guys. <laughs> Basically, for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about the Spitfire, the Supermarine Spitfire's legendary plane of the Second World War. You know, big, big, big thing in Britain, big kind of national myth item in Britain, the Spitfire. And there was a factory in Southampton which made, I think, most of the Spitfires. And it was bombed in 1940 by the Luftwaffe. And it was not just bombed, it was flattened. And this was a disaster. And they needed to work out how to, you know, keep Spitfire production going, but keep it safe from bombing raids. And what they did was they said, well, well, we'll make it in secret. And not only that, we'll divide all the factories into, you know, lots of different tiny micro factories around the place, which mm. are all hidden. So they used all sorts of little offices or garages, a laundry, a, an old glove factory. They just divide. <laughs> it was amazing. They just mm. divided it up. And lots of them were in Salisbury and Reading and Trowbridge and just like all over the place, basically. And this came out decades after the war that this is how it had been done, basically. And um, there was an engineer who worked on them called Norman Parker. And he said in 2021, he was interviewed about it. uh, He was about 95 at the time that he was talking about this. He said, we had one case. There was a couple at a dinner party in the 1970s. And over the dinner table, the wife said, oh, I was building Spitfires in Salisbury during the war. And the husband said, no, you weren't. I was. (laughs) And they had both been working in the same factory and they didn't know it. It could be a false memory, couldn't it? I guess. I I think this is a really bad marriage, guys. Yeah. I've got... (laughs) Well, there are a number of things that could have been, but basically... (laughs) Yeah. I reckon I have things with my siblings that we talk about when we were really, really young. And we all think that we were the one who did a certain thing. Oh, right. Do you know what I mean? You're throwing, like, sh- yeah, I see you're throwing shade on the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that's now. true, but I'm just saying, like, I remember, like, I was, you know, my brother was locked in a toilet in France when we went to a restaurant once and we had to get mm. him out. And then he thinks it was my sister who was that. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, mm. yeah. Weird, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be that they're both, that they're telling the truth and it's a real thing oh my god <laughs> do we know what they worked on specifically well i think that's the other thing production was divvied up yeah in lots of yeah. ways so it might have been by same factory it was a you know factory making, it was at different sites or it was a you know they probably weren't in the same room he could have been making know. the leather chairs for what could be used for a car but was for a plane and as in like it's, sure yeah, like, yeah that's yeah. what i mean to the level of what were they making exactly the yeah. yeah and people were it's and people, plausible yeah. for sure isn't yeah yeah it? yeah I mean, it's I think they sort and of dug into it. And was very secretive. And people were very secretive. Or, or you might know in a couple, I'm working on something that's secret and I can't really tell you what it's about. And, and they're, they're both in war work. And the thing is about aviation, during the Second World War, 65% of the aviation workforce were women because mm, most yeah. of the men were So statistically, the she's more likely to be correct. <laughs> so, yeah. I, like I say, I think they're both correct. <laughs> so she's told this guy at the dinner table, he's gone, wow, what an amazing life. What did you do? Uh, yeah, yeah, Spitfires as well. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, the Spitfire. Brilliant. Spitfire is amazing. So are you into the Spitfire? Yeah. Because I not... feel like I don't... I feel... How do I put this politely? Uh, the people that talk about Spitfires a lot tend to be a few years older than you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's actually a compliment, guys. I don't know if you heard. That was... Uh... <laughs> I'm young, young seeming for a guy as interested in Spitfires. <laughs> I'm not so, I'm like not, my teacher yeah. at school when I was a kid, right. who was an older yeah. guy, was really into Spitfires. I think actually, Ella, you'll find the more that you meet Andy and talk to him, he's an old man. Well, a lot of the things he's interested in, you would expect older men to be interested in. <laughs> 
Is that fair to say? I think it's not unfair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not deeply into them, but I am in- interested in logistics. Uh, I love. How you're, I love <laughs> so for those who can't see this, he might be shaking a little bit as he said. I'm not really, really into it, but I'm, I'm, I'm trembling with joy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't. Be- I had a look at just. You know, we check what we've talked yeah. about before in this podcast. Mm. I had a look. I can't believe you guys have stopped me for nine years from ever mentioning the Spitfire on this show. We've never mentioned. Well done, guys. Yeah. High five the rest. Yeah. Of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, great plane. Uh, yeah, incredible plane. And also, um, what a group effort of the UK during wartime to make this plane built to the numbers that it was built at. Basically, yeah. there was I was reading an article saying that it was effectively like one of the early Kickstarters where people yeah. funded whole communities would go around funding single planes and and they as a result got to name the plane so lots of the planes flying that were in the war had names like dorothy of great britain and empire and that was funded entirely by women called dorothy so it's so <laughs> yeah. yes it's so funny Where the maria plane yeah but in fairness 70 percent of women were called Dorothy. <laughs> There was uh, the dogfighter as well. Um, there was, uh, was that, and that was the kennel club. Oh, right. It wasn't people that. who did dogfighting. <laughs> no. People from the back of the pub. <laughs> but check, check this out. This is this is the most incredible one. There was one that was uh, POWs of Offlag. This is a prison camp in Germany that yeah. captured officers who donated their month's pay through the Red Cross. Then that went into the building of a plane. So they okay. were in prison Whoa. and they were funding the plane That's that was then war, I, yeah, I read about that and it's they had to send letters back saying i want to give my money to this crowdfunding right yeah but they had to do it in code so because oh. you couldn't send a message that the germans would be able to read saying please put all my money into spitfires <laughs> otherwise they're just going to accidentally <laughs> lose it aren't they so yeah, exactly it's amazing it was that was a really nice thing this crowdfunding effort yeah which I'd not heard what of. would they have called it back then though it wouldn't have been crowdfunding it, they were called spitfire funds um, and the planes were kind of arbitrarily priced. They said £5,000 will buy a Spitfire, which was not actually a true figure, but it sort of was a peg for yeah, people yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. But also that thing of charities these days will say, £2 will buy a meal for one thing. Yeah, it was, it was like, like sixpence will buy a rivet. Exactly. And £2,000 will get you a wing. No. So you yeah. could see the, what you were buying. It raised a lot of lot of money. It was nearly given a much less sexy name than the Spitfire. Okay. Spitfire is quite a swashbuckling name. Uh, other contenders included Scarab, uh, Shrike... Which is quite good because that's yeah, a bird that bird. impales yeah. its prey. You know, it's quite sort of. Um, but I looked up the the complete list of supermarine aircraft, and there were some many there were many bad options that the Spitfire could have been called. There was the supermarine commercial amphibian, wow. the supermarine sea urchin, uh-huh. supermarine spiteful, <laughs> sure, quite good, supermarine seagull, supermarine sea otter. <laughs> And no, the, no, no, the, no, you're taking the piss. No, they're all <laughs> And the supermarine baby. Oh. No. Yeah, I know. In a brainstorm, sometimes there are bad ideas. <laughs> Unleash the babies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they mostly began with S, and they were mostly seaplanes. That's what they started out yeah. as. The firm started out making seaplanes, and so, we, yeah. I love seaplanes. Yeah, they're cool. Mm. Imagine they're a plane where you can just land anywhere. Mm. As yes. long as there's a body of water, you just land. So not on land. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so Dan you're suddenly you're brings the facts. Oh, you get God. special life jackets in case you land on land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, these um, supermarine, supermarine Spitfires, mm. uh, when they were taxiing, uh, so just kind of driving around the uh, the airport, they quite often sort of, oh, not overturn, but get really wobbly. Mm. And so what would happen is someone would often sit on the tail of the plane to keep them steady. <laughs> mm. uh, and it was often a woman who did this. And uh, there was a particular woman called Margaret Horton who did this in 1943 at RAF Heibelstow. Uh, and she was sat on the back and the guy was a little bit anxious to get in the air and forgot no. to get her off the no. tail. No, no. <laughs> so started taking off while she was sitting on the tail of the Spitfire. And he radioed down to traffic control saying, there's something wrong with this plane. (laughs) It's kind of really really heavy. heavy. (laughs) Uh, And so they talked him down. Yeah, yeah. So they talked him down, but they they never told him that there was a woman on the (gasps) back. Oh, no way. Well, because as soon as they tell him, he's going to be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So So they're like, oh, yeah, there's obviously a problem with the wing. We'll just right. talk you down on how to get down. And so he never oh, knew oh. until he landed that this woman was... Bloody hell. Like, and she survived. <laughs> she survived, yeah, She survived. Yeah. There's, there's a course. museum called Tagmir Military Aviation Museum. And when you go to it, there's a model that they've made. So you can see a model of a um, Spitfire taking off with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> a little... Pl- 
plasticine woman or whatever the material is <laughs> holding incredible. on to the tail wing. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's so brilliant. God. Should we say why it was so good? I guess we, I'm like, intrigued. Was, uh, yeah. So, I, so apparently, all the pilots loved it, but I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. Why did they all love it? Well, it was it was it was really nimble. It turned very very fast, and also the other thing about it was it was um, it flew very very fast. Partly because, <laughs> okay, this is quite niche. If you guys want to tease me when I say this bit, I don't mind. Okay. Right. But basically, the it had flush riveting, which is a good. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. Ooh. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Dear listener, um, no, the, the, so metal skin, very, very cool. But if you had lumpy rivets all over it, which most planes yeah, did before yeah. that, uh-huh. it drags the plane back a bit. Whereas if you sink these little countersunk rivets, so you sort of it's exactly level with the surface of the plane, then yeah. the airflow is very efficient and you get a much faster plane. Clever. And they did some experiments on early Spitfires. They replicated what it would be like if it had external rivets by gluing split peas onto the spots where the rivets were all over the plane and then flying it, doing a speed test, basically. And it was about 20, 22 miles an hour slower. It was a, a wow. fair chunk slower, yeah, yeah, which yeah. would have had a serious effect if you were in a, a combat situation. And, you know. yeah. So, yeah. Could so, you yeah. have, um, like, stopped the enemy by going in and putting peas on his <laughs> yeah, plane? Yeah, definitely. That was, a big part, that was a big part of the early SAS job. Was, <laughs> was uh, yeah. <laughs> I used to do that, and so did my wife. <laughs> so um, that fact would be even more impressive if I knew what a rivet was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you've got to retain some mystery, I'm afraid. Uh, That's still under the secret sack, actually. Um, what the hell's a rivet? A kind of screw. Kind of screw. It's like a big old screw. It joins joins the bits of the plane to the other bits I'm of the googling plane. Googling rivet. That's so funny. You know the word riveting? It's got nothing to do no. with what a rivet is. <laughs> Hold on, rivet. She's googling. I oh, know it's because it, it holds you together. It holds you. In. It holds yeah, you yeah, in place. Yeah, you're right. This is a, yeah, they're just just extra kind of screw. Great, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Message in if you didn't know what a rivet. Was. I can, <laughs> and if you like, I can repeat that fact for you now, Ella, and it'll be even more exciting this time round. Should we move on? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly mention. What? <laughs> I feel like we've got enough. I haven't read a tenth of my stuff out. <laughs> I haven't told you about the supermarine walrus. It so feels- it's just out of interest. Like, what yeah. what are your subjects that they won't let you normally talk about? I just need to know, like, it's, how valid. It's mostly second world war logistics. Yeah. We end up letting him do it because he does crowbar it in somehow into any old facts. So um, here's a question for you: Do you yeah. do you follow current? war strategy and logistics like i've got a whole bunch of male friends who are so into the logistics of the ukrainian war that it's gone beyond anything that i think is normal um Mm. you'd have to to ask my wife (laughs) what's normal in terms of what (laughs) it's it's past and present i think logistics logistics is interesting as the (laughs) (laughs) and i'm not i'm I'm blushing now, but actually, I'm not ashamed. This is interesting. Needs to go on your tombstone. We can't all be, we can't all be bloody explorers, you know, on cool cement ships. I'm going to stay on the cement ship, thank you. you. I don't want to see Socotra. Look at the rivets on Andy's tombstone. (laughs) Oh Oh my god! (laughs) We've been so mean. Look, some people need to be in logistics. Just well, actually, James is right. We're not actually out of time, but we should move on. Um, oh, can I tell, can I tell you one more? Like a sort of yeah, Spitfire yeah. here. He actually wrote a book partly about the Spitfire. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Bader. Yeah, oh, yeah. Now, he was really he was a really famous pilot. Partly yeah. because I think it was in I don't know if it was an accident. Well, he famously had no legs. He had no legs, like, but yeah, he nonetheless lost both his legs during mission fly, flight. Yeah, flying yeah. accident. Yeah, yeah, fly, flying incidents, and he became a Spitfire ace nonetheless. In the Second World War, he was shot down over France, and he ejected, so he he survived. But he lost one of his prosthetic legs in the course of oh, being shot down. Well, no, he was treated with a lot of respect by the was, Germans yeah. who captured him oh. because there were rules about that. And he was in a prisoner of war camp. And Goering, who was the head of the Luftwaffe, gave special permission for an artificial leg, a spare leg, to be parachuted into his prisoner of war camp. Oh, amazing! Nice. Yeah, I think what happened was though he kept he kept trying to escape, and so they yeah. confiscated his, yes, his they prosthetic. Did. Yeah, in the end. they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was before the relationship soured, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that was called Operation Leg. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Where do they come up with 
um, th there's one other hero we should mention, which is Lady Houston. Oh, Lady yeah. Houston's sort of the reason that the Spitfire yeah. became the Spitfire during the war. She was a suffragette, political activist. Um, she also was one of the richest women in the UK, if not the richest at one point. And she was someone who kept helping out with war efforts. She was always donating things. I think the, um, the war people didn't like her very much, right? Because right. she kept saying that, the, you know, they weren't giving enough money to the war effort they weren't given enough equipment all that kind of stuff and she would right. go around with placards saying give them more guns kind of thing and they got really annoyed but she did like get a lot of money together and i think are you going to say that she helped to pay for the design of the spitfire yeah, yeah. basically what it was was there was a thing called the snyder trophy which was a, a biannual international airspeed race and britain won it twice and the idea was if they won the third one they would get to keep the trophy for good but at this point the government said we're not going to fund this stuff we need all the money and she it, thought that was it, a huge it was mistake seen as a bit of a like this is a crazy wonder weapon idea is yeah. not gonna like this is a mad waste of money that it was, it was in a depression you know. it was yeah, yeah. this was a, this was in uh, like late 20s early 30s yeah. this was before the Ex yeah, yeah. exactly and so she said well no that that shouldn't be the case so she funded it she funded it for it to go ahead and as a result Rolls-Royce developed a new engine that became the Spitfire's engine and so on so it was down to her and and making that happen yeah. she was the wizened old Texan of her day yeah she, she was <laughs> exactly <laughs> They're wonderful. Let me tell you, if you've got some money, lose some of it with me. It's fine. <laughs> we also have a Patreon, just to say. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that one of the original names proposed for what we now know as Neanderthals was Homo stupidus. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so this was in the early days when we were finding skulls of what was then thought like, is this a bear? Is this a sort of just a, like, no one knew what <laughs> it is. It's a plane. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a point where we were finding lots of skulls and we didn't quite know what this thing was. It would later turn out to be Neanderthals. Right. Um, and when they got to a point where they were thinking, okay, actually, we do have a new different species of Homo here. We need to give it a name. But by the look of it and by the skeletons that had been found, it looked like a very clumsy, bulky idiot. Uh, <laughs> and so a very famous scientist at the time, Ernest Haeckel, suggested why not call it Homo stupidus to really dig home that this this is why this moron is no longer right. existing mm. on our planet. Now we now know that this is completely wrong, that Neanderthals were actually very intelligent. They did art. Mm -hmm. uh, they could sing, perhaps. You know, There's lots of things that we're discovering more and more about them. They used um, yep. penicillin even, like a old what? version of penicillin. I mean, prehistoric version. Prehistoric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah. over the counter stuff. These sure. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you're, you're a Neanderthal expert, yeah. Ella. So yeah. I have a number of questions. Um, one is... Um... <laughs> I feel we're doing this the wrong way around. <laughs> 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 no, this is definitely targeted at you three. Um, so when you have the guest on, um, are the topics always consistently the topics <laughs> that they are specialists in? And if so, why did I get a Spitfire? <laughs> <laughs> I think we try, we try, a bit we of inside tried. baseball, we try to do f things that our guests are going to know a lot about. Yeah. On your Wikipedia page, it says you're an expert in rivets. <laughs> <laughs> Please nobody edit it. <laughs> There's already a whole bunch of untruths on that page. <laughs> um, but sometimes a little fact about maybe logistics or... or... <laughs> Or military strategy will just slip through like that. I wish this yeah. was being filmed because your face. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, no. That the the thing with um, so taxonomy is a um, is the system of naming things in biology, hmm. and there's this rule called it's it's an a priori thing, um, and what it means is that if we find a fossil today. Um, and we call it something that is the name it is given mm. if it becomes a species so yeah. if i find a fossil today and i go oh it might be homo sapien or it might be homo schreiber okay <laughs> we realized... already had a homo stupidus <laughs> <laughs> right. then then let's say there's this but i i publish it yeah. so if i publish yeah. it yeah. In, in any journal then later on um, if people are still like, no, 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 we don't think that's a separate species. If suddenly two more of them are found that really do look similar and somebody goes, no, actually, we really do think that now needs to be yeah. um, a, a species, they can't go, well, we want to call it, you know, homo, whatever. No, no, 
the a priori rule is very clear it has to be called that so luckily homo neanderthalensis must have got in there earlier because yeah, otherwise so, we would be stuck with that bloody name yeah, yeah it was proposed it was never seriously taken right. to a board it was a guy called dr william king who was an yeah. irish geologist who eventually uh was the one who said let's call it neanderthal because it was found the the particular one they were looking at uh, found in 1856 at the neander river valley and yeah. so it was named after Germany, the area yeah, yeah. yeah. and Thal is a uh, valley isn't it i didn't know that oh i was in neander that. neander valley Thal. it was in the neander valley wow yeah, that's all so um the homo neanderthalensis is what we call it now yeah uh, but some people call it homo sapiens neanderthalensis yeah. because it might be a subspecies of homo sapien if it was called homo sapiens stupidus then that would literally be stupid wise man oh yeah uh, because sapiens means wise yes and that would have been quite a yeah do, i don't actually know how sapiens was picked because it does feel like we've given ourselves the nice well, we bargain, are gonna, you know. aren't we? Yeah, of we are like, we we're, did. yeah, we're great, but I'm just saying it's <laughs> a bit. Naming, it's we're a the bit naming kind of... committee. Of course, we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Some people said once I, that the brain is the only thing that named itself. Mm. Yeah, which I think is nice. So, brain must be a really good word for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a rubbish word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Your brain would have come up with something better than that. Yeah, idiot. I one of the names that the Neanderthal could have had was Gibraltar man, Homo Gibraltaris or whatever, right. because okay. the first, I think, the first skulls were found in Gibraltar, but they were found too early, and they were found by I think a soldier, and he was a soldier and geologist, and he. And he said, I think this might be something new, but he, he, he didn't really get anywhere, you know. Yeah, um, I think there was a few that were found technically before, but they just didn't identify that. I think there was one in, Sh I think the Spi one as well, which is Belgium. I think that's also an early one. Yeah. Where they just didn't... Um, oh, yeah. Flint. Sorry, Flint was his name. Edmund Flint, which is a nice okay. sort of prehistoric sounding name. Yeah. Or, you know, like a, <laughs> he sounds yeah, yeah. like he's from the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. And he, he found it, but again, he didn't get anywhere. And actually, I think the last Neanderthals also lived in Gibraltar. Well, yeah. that's... Mm, oh. I disagree with that. Oh. Ooh. Ooh, go on. Okay. No, I think so. I think the team out there really believe that, but I don't okay. think most of the rest of us believe that. Oh, I think we think it's a toss-up. It might have been the Iberian Peninsula, but I just, yeah. Was it somewhere islandy where things kind of cling on a bit? Yeah, or it was, was probably it... just the south, but also we just don't know. Actually, oh. the the dates are constantly shifting. When I say that, I mean that when um, the scientists are dating them. Um, they're realizing that all the dates we thought we had are kind of yeah. <laughs> not as great, shall we say. Uh, there's many question marks about these dates. I was reading okay. about a Neanderthal site in Croatia mm. uh, called Krapina Cave. Yeah. Uh, and what I found Krapina. is that they, they found coprolites in there. So <laughs> that suggests that Neanderthals might have actually crapped in a cave. Do you, know Do you know what? It would take you lot for me to realize that Krapina, which is an integral part of my research, <laughs> is actually crap. <laughs> I had never in all my wow. years realised that before. That's so good. Thank you. You're very Don't welcome. really appreciate yeah. it. No, I'm not going to high five you. No. Sometimes it takes a fool to teach a wise woman. As stupid as. Ella, do you know whether or not you're a bit Neanderthal? Yeah, yeah. I got tested. Yeah. What's your What's your number? I don't know. Can't remember. You can't remember. You study Neanderthals remember. and you couldn't be bothered I know. to. I can't remember retaining it. It was It was averageish. As far as right. I remember, Couple, is that what? Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. And you can do that. So the National Geographic Society, they have a genographic project where you do a swab in your mouth and you send it in, and then they can give you the results and tell right. you whether you're not. And then I think we've, we, you know, we know Ozzy Osbourne is a bit yeah, Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all. I mean, we mostly are. Uh, is it everyone outside Africa is a couple of percent, and that because early humans left Africa, bred with Neanderthals, yeah. those populations spread yeah. to like Europe, yeah. Asia. But then, so is it called ghost DNA? I love yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even people in Africa these days have kind of a small fraction of a percent of Neanderthal DNA. Well, so so there's a few things going on there. One is that, um, yes, it's it's so everybody outside of sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, so like okay. the Tunisians have got some, you know, the Egyptians have got some. Okay. And what it is is Neanderthals were a more European Asian species and never went into Africa. So it was, it was that's why sub-Saharans don't really have it. Right. The ghost DNA, so this is really cool. So now uh, ancient DNA is so fascinating that they have been able to identify that there are other species out there called Homo God knows what, yeah. um, but they just don't have a single fossil for it. They don't know anything huh. about this, but they know 
based on looking at all of our DNA globally, there were other species that we interbred with and we just don't know. So we know that we interbred with Neanderthals. We know that we interbred with a species called Denisova. And then, yeah, in in the process of doing all this, they've also come across a few ghost lineages. And they're like, how do you marry it up with the fossils that are out there? Because you're like, I don't know what it looks like. So can we, do we not name it until we find the fossil? So So in genetics, if it's a ghost lineage, they tend to like give it like population Y or population X or yeah. that kind of thing. They don't give it a name because they really don't know. You've got to give it a cooler name than that, <laughs> you know. Well, that, yeah, that's the whole point. It's a standby name, isn't it? Oh yeah, I see. And yeah. they'll come up with a really. Do like, you want to come up awesome. with a cool name first? Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. But, but like, imagine if like so you've got Homo naledi, which is a new species that they okay. discovered in South uh, Africa, and that might be the ghost lineage. Huh. But yeah. well, that might be one of them, but we just, we, we don't know because until we've got DNA, we can't compare the two. A DNA from a, a from fossil? Naledi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need the DNA. You need DNA from the fossils you've got to be able to compare it to this ghost lineage. So it might be from home. It might home be Naledi. 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 It might be Naledi. We just don't know. Oh. It's so cool. So it's the guy cool. that found Naledi, uh, Lee Berger, is like, I reckon it is. Mm. But we were like, maybe. We don't know, though. Yeah. Sorry, I got very excited. No, there. it is exciting. It's <laughs> do, incredible. Do, do you know... Is his name Svante Pabo? Svante Pabo, yeah. So he's a Swedish DNA expert. And he, mm. I think, did he start the field of extracting DNA yeah. from ancient bones? He just won a Nobel Prize for it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, congratulations, And it was really funny because he won it for medicine. And everybody and everybody <laughs> went, we, we just had COVID. What? <laughs> we just had COVID and you've given it to this guy's found Neanderthal DNA. <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> He published this study, and you know he 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 realised that you could extract DNA from old bones, and that's a huge realisation. He worked out how to do it as well, and he got letters, lots of letters from men saying, <laughs> yeah. "I think I'm Neanderthal, actually. I think I'm." <laughs> he said fully or partly Neanderthal, fully. and so, like offering him samples to analyse for his work. I think spit samples. I think, oh, uh, no, but okay. and but there was a really interesting. There's a there's definitely a gender divide here because. Mm. 12 women wrote in to him to say yeah. my husband is definitely he's a Neanderthal <laughs> you can study him if you like uh, only two men wrote saying the same of their wives and I don't know if any women wrote in saying I'm a ne- I think I'm pretty sure I'm a Neanderthal right okay so there's an interesting thing about how we think yeah. of Neanderthals today yeah, that's yeah. what yeah. it tells us yeah. about really. yeah yeah it's fair true. enough that's actually so true because sorry I pointed at you very aggressively then but um, Andy uh, just for the listeners <laughs> yes um, so uh, I made a, a show called Neanderthals for the BBC and PBS and um, oh with uh, Andy Circus, with Andy Circus, yeah. who is Gollum in Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah. and a million other things. Like the guy's yeah, yeah, got yeah. a very impressive resume. Um, and there was this really big discussion because we were like, blatantly, you're going to make the reconstruction is going to be a male, but actually, mm. why huh. are the reconstructions of cave men? always Ooh. men mm. like it doesn't make, like think about the descent of man image where it's like you know from ape to human mm. it's always just men and it's like well they definitely didn't do that on their own right so <laughs> it's like where are the women in this and we had a really big discussion and in the end we did we did make a man and we called it ned uh, but we did make a nelly but the nelly was not of the same quality okay. <laughs> but the animation yeah. wasn't it wasn't Badly andy circus's work let's just put it like yeah, that. Yeah. was andy circus playing the motion capture yeah so he, he brought the neanderthal to life basically did he co-host as he, he was he was no 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 he was okay. he there's this scene where he actually i love this scene it kind of gives me goosebumps when i see it where he wakes the neanderthal up from his slumber so it's an iraqi neanderthal and he wakes it up from its slumber oh, so wow. he's used it he's like andy's freaking yeah, yeah, circus wow. was and he, he both of the the male and the female no 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 they literally oh, they, was they, like, nelly was forgotten about yeah. not in yeah. your nelly oh. no 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 no, no. <laughs> But I he was, do wish he co-hosted it as the end of yeah. yeah, the show. Been... Ella El Shamahi. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you guys know why Neanderthals have got such a bad rep? Oh, uh, oh was it? Oh, um, didn't they find what were effectively, unfortunately, deformed yeah. skeletons and so on? And yeah, and so we just thought, ah, oh, that must be yeah. what they all look like. Yeah. Oh. So basically, it oh. was uh, it was a, uh, it was an individual La uh, Chabalo saying, "Don't query my French," um, and um, it was a highly arthritic individual. 
um it was it was an old man although i'm pretty sure it was only like 40 but you know old for the time mm. um but very young for today um but, <laughs> but um and they basically he was i don't like the way you looked at me when you said that <laughs> but um, he was highly arthritic and there's a number of things going on here um but the the guy who did the 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 reconstruction of this fossil um basically portrayed it as being like essentially knuckle dragging well mm. kind of right. it's heads jutting forward it's you know it's knees mm. are bent blah 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 um and then they obviously realized later on that that was completely incorrect but it was too late it was like it got out there that this right. is and because we were looking for a missing link in inverted commas right mm. so it kind of fit the narrative and it was a new field right reconstructing what somebody looked yeah, like from a fossil was such a new field that, that you know and so essentially it's everybody's speculating since as to why he did such a bad job which is really embarrassing because oh, his legacy yeah. amongst other things because he's quite a you know renowned person is that he basically did an awful pr job on neanderthals oh, oh, it's amazing that. like if just like for instance in a million years time they find humans and they only find my body yeah, oh, yeah. I have very bad sinuses, right? They're just right. going to think all humans had a cold all the time. That's it. Isn't yeah, it? You that's, know, it. that's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. what happened. That's completely. They're going to find Dan's body and think all humans were unbelievably hairy. Yeah, They'll think, oh, wait. They, they, they... I, I love how you guys don't know how bodies and decomposition works. But sure, yeah, <laughs> hair is going to be found. On... They'll find Andy and they'll be like, well, all humans used to make model aeroplanes. <laughs> That's because they'll have found me in my tomb where I've been buried yeah. with all my air fixes. And all your rivet, pivots, yeah. rivets, rivets. rivets. Homo riveting. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Spitfire, Spitfire, Spitfire. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> James at James Harkin and Ella uh, Ella underscore Al Shamahi yep or you can go to our group account which is at no such thing or you can go to our website no such thing as a fish dot com all of our previous episodes are up there so do check them out and uh, Ella does want to give another shout out quickly to Daniel Stone's book The Food Explorer uh, it is an amazing book so do try and track that down um, but otherwise come back next week because we'll be back with another episode and we'll see you then goodbye goodbye